tonight we have the blessing of our youth pastor joining us and sharing the word from Genesis chapter 18. Would you guys welcome Pastor Dan? Thank you, Pastor Mike. Yeah, it is a blessing, always a blessing to be with you guys, fellowshipping with you guys, uh, sharing the word, teaching the Bible is my favorite thing to do. I love it. It just brings me so much joy. Um, and I'm just so thankful that God's given me that opportunity. So Genesis chapter 18 is where we're going to be tonight. Genesis chapter 18. So as you know, if you've been joining us on Wednesday nights, we have been studying through the book of Genesis. And I think it's also really cool. I don't know if you guys noticed the same thing, that because we're going through the gospel of John on Sundays, there's just so many cool connections. And I've been noticing Pastor Mike referencing Genesis a lot. And it's just awesome to see because the same God, right, the same God who brought life, the same God who spoke the world into existence is the God who gives us life, right? The God that speaks new life into us and makes us a new creation. So it's just been such a blessing going through Genesis. So we have been following along with the story of Abraham. And we've seen with Abraham that God has given him this great promise, right? That Abraham, you will be the father of many nations, right? That in you, there will be this blessing that comes. But the problem with this, this call, for the problem for Abraham is that he doesn't have any children, right? So the father of many nations, his wife Sarah, is barren and cannot have children. So we've been studying through this, and we see some ups and downs with Abraham. We see that Abraham in Genesis chapter 16 tries to take things into his own hands, as we so often do, right, guys? We take things when we don't see it according to the way that we think it should be. We say, well, God, what can I do, right? How can I help you along, God? And we know that that's never a good idea to do. It never ends up good. So we see, though, that with Hagar, Sarah's maidservant, that Abraham tries to, to, to have the, the promised son, but we see that this he does have a son. It is Ishmael, but it is not the son that God had called him to wait for. And then last week in Genesis chapter 17, Pastor Chris shared that even though Abraham had failed, right, even though Abraham had, had messed up in taking things into his own hands, that God still is so merciful, right? That God is a God of redemption, and he appears to Abraham, and he gives him, he reaffirms this promise to him, gives him the sign of the covenant, right? Gives him this circumcision, right? This sign that, Abraham, you will be set apart. You will be different. I am going to do this work in you. I am still going to bring you that child through your wife, Sarah. So tonight, we pick up in Genesis chapter 18, and really the focus that I want us to to see tonight, the thing that I, I really, as I'm just praying and seeking the Lord, the thing that I see just throughout this scripture is that our God is a God of mercy, right? And I think it's awesome because we're, we're singing these songs and we're singing about just this merciful, this awesome God. And tonight, one of the things that we're going to see is that God is about to bring judgment, right? So we think of judgment and we're like, well, God's going to bring judgment, but then He's a God of mercy? Yes, <laughs> right? Because God is so good, and in him, judgment and mercy, they meet perfectly, and we know that they meet at the cross of Jesus Christ. So Genesis chapter 18, follow along with me as we read. We're going to be uh, breaking this apart into a few sections tonight, starting with verses 1 through 8. Genesis 18, verse 1 says this, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk in the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Why don't we pray one more time? Father, 
we thank you so much tonight for your goodness. We thank you, God, that truly, as we're going to see in your scripture tonight, that you are a God who is merciful, Lord, that you poured out mercy, Lord, toward Abraham, toward Sarah, Lord, and Lord, that same mercy you offered to us, God, as, as a free gift, Jesus, because you made a way for us to be forgiven, because Lord, when you see us, you see us not for our sin, you see us not for our failure, but you see us as your son, God. So we just commit this night to you. We commit this word to you. We pray that you would speak by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned to you, tonight we're going to be focusing really on the mercy of God. And the first point, there's going to be four really examples I think we see here throughout the scripture of God's mercy, right? The mercy of God appearing. And point number one is that we see in this section that God shows his mercy in appearing to Abraham. So in verse 1, we see that it says that the Lord appeared to Abraham. It says that he appeared to him by the terebinth trees as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Notice in your Bible that the word Lord is capital, right? Capital L, capital O, R, and Z. When you see Lord in your Bible stated in that way, it is referring to Yahweh, right? Or Jehovah. So we see here that it says that God himself, that God is going to be appearing to Abraham. Now, this is not the first time that God has appeared to Abraham. We see it back in Genesis chapter 12 after he, he brings him the promise. And we also saw it last week in Genesis chapter 17. But the way that the Lord appears this time is going to be unique. It's going to be different, right, than how he has appeared in the past. So it says that as Abraham looks up in verse 2, it says that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, that there were three men standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet him and bowed himself to the ground. So it says that the Lord appeared to Abraham, and then it right away in verse 2 jumps, it says he looks up, and he sees these three men that are coming to his tent. So we have to ask ourselves the question, who are these three men, right? Who are these three mysterious men that are just coming right around in Abraham's tent? Well, what we can gather from the rest of the scripture tonight, and what we can gra just gather from also chapter 19, is that one of these men is God himself, right? One of these men is the Lord. And we know that because we see it later on that the Lord, same capital L-O-R-D, that the Lord is speaking to Abraham. So guys, what we see is that God himself is coming. God himself is appearing at the tent of Abraham. Maybe you've had some good visitors in your lifetime, right? Maybe when, when someone knocks on your door, you, you've had some surprises, but what about God, right? What about the God of Israel, the creator of the universe, coming to the door of your tent? It's amazing. But what this is an example of is this is an example of God appearing in the flesh. This is a pre-incarnate appearing of God as a man, right? God, the Son, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, right? And we see this. If you know your Bible, we see this in other places, right? We see God taking on human flesh. We see it in Joshua where we see the commander of the army of the Lord that comes. We see it in Daniel where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace. And it says that there's one like the Son of Man that is in that furnace with them. We see it mentioned in scripture, the angel of the Lord. And when we see that, this is God appearing in flesh. And, and you know, I think the fact that this is happening, what it's doing in a way is that it is setting the stage for the coming of the Messiah. It is setting the stage for the coming of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. You see, we see in the Old Testament that God can take on human flesh, right? So for the New Testament saints, when they see Emmanuel come, God with us, right? When they see Jesus Christ, God the Son, this concept of God in flesh is not completely foreign to them, right? They've seen God do this before, but Jesus is the fullness of it, right? Jesus is the fullness of God in the flesh. So we see that one of these men is God, and we can infer from reading on in chapter 19 as well that these other two men 
are angels, okay? So we have God the Son, right, Jesus Christ in human flesh in the Old Testament and two angels that come to the tent of Abraham. This is some great guests, some guests of honor, right? And what we see is that we don't know if Abraham recognizes right away that this is the Lord. But what is clear is that he recognizes that these are men of great honor. These are men of great prominence. And because of that, he responds accordingly. Look at what it says over there in verse 2. It says that he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the ground. Now, keep in mind the age of Abraham, right? Abraham, during Genesis chapter 18, is the ripe old age of 100, okay? How many 100-year-old men have you ever seen run? I haven't seen too many, okay? My, my grandfather uh, passed away this past year, but he was 100 years old. And he moved around really well for his age, but I don't know if he'd be running, okay? But Abraham is just excited. He recognizes that these are men of prominence. And it says, right, as we read on in verses, verses 3 through 6, we, say, we see that Abraham, he is offering to these men. He says, my Lord, in verse 3, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. And then he offers to him. He offers to these men water. He offers to them, wash your feet, take a rest in the shade. He offers to them bread in verse 6. And he even runs to go prepare a calf to, to bring and to set before these men. Now something interesting, something just kind of funny that I saw in verse 6, is that it says in verse 6, Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. You see, Abraham makes that classic mistake of a, of a man to say, um, honey, can you, can you whip up all this food, right? All, these guests come, and he's like, um, can you, can, can you just go handle this? And poor Sarah is left with no notice, right, to go and prepare this great meal. But we see from Abraham that he sees something in these men. Again, we don't know if he recognizes right away who they are, but he recognizes that his place is to honor them. His place is to give them preference. His place is to, is to greet them and to offer to them and really what we see is just great hospitality toward these men. See, hospitality is something that I think is truly a gift from God, right? Jesus is hospitable to us, right? He welcomes us and he welcomes us in to his family with open arms. Hospitality. But what we see is that hospitality is something that God can use in a great way. You know, in the United States, when someone comes to your door, right, your reaction might not be necessarily just like Abraham's. You know, recently with the youth group, we uh, went Christmas caroling over in the, in the brick area. And we did it as an outreach, and we're rolling there with like 30 kids, and we're all ready to go. We practiced for like five minutes, right? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, so, so, so we're rolling out. It's cold outside, right? And we come to people's doors, and I tried to tell the kids, I'm like, guys, we, you can't just run to someone's door and just stand like, it's nighttime, it's dark. You can't just stand right there with like 30 of us. You have to like back up and give them some space, okay? The reality is that that didn't happen at all, okay? Instead, you see these kids, that they're running and we're, the, the, half the group's like at the previous house. The next group's already there ringing the bell. I'm like, guys, do we even know what song we're singing? They're like, we don't care. We, we don't know what's happening, right? And... The interesting thing, too, is that a lot of people these days have those ring doorbells, right? So you see that, like, people, our kids are, like, looking in the ring doorbell, and I'm like, the, I'm like these people guys are 100% looking at their phone and being like, I am hiding and turning the lights off and <laughs> just going somewhere because what is happening here, right? But when someone comes to our door, we don't necessarily have in, in the United States that, that hospitality, but we see that it's different in, in other cultures, right? I, if you've ever been on a mission trip maybe to a different country, I know I've had experiences where we go to another country and, and we come to someone's house, and a lot of these houses, you have like 10 people living in one room, right? And you have all these kids, and you see that there's these beds on the floor, and people, though, they just welcome you. They say, come, come in, right? Come into my house. What can I get for you? And, and the people that are asking this are, they have no money. They, they, they have nothing. They're saying, okay, can I get you some water? Can I make you some food, right? This hospitality is, is just such a blessing. And, and in a way, 
it really just can be a worship to the Lord. It can be something that is so powerful when this happens. Another quick story. About two summers ago, there was a, a young man that I met uh, while I was jogging in the park. And the Lord just put it on my heart to share the gospel with this young man. And I came over to him. He was sitting in a little pavilion. Um, shared the gospel with him for about an hour. And, and he prayed to receive Christ, which was just amazing, right? Just, just, just showing him who Jesus is. And then... I texted my wife, right, and I said, hey, can I, can I bring this kid over the house for lunch, right? He hadn't eaten all day, and praise the Lord, my wife is awesome in that, right? She goes, yeah, absolutely, bring him over. I'm making something right now, right? I'm whipping something up right now, and this, this young guy that she's never met before that I just met an hour ago, we had him over our house, and he was over our house a few times, and I'm just thinking about that hospitality, though, even, even for my wife, right, because in a way, Yes, I was preaching the gospel, right, with, with, with the words, but she was a part of that, that fruit as well, right? Because she's opening up our, our, our home and saying, yeah, come, right? Come and, and, and dine with us. Come and fellowship with us. I don't care who you are, right? You're a brother in Christ. Come. We want to bless you. We want to minister to you. Hospitality. And I think it's amazing, this example that we see from Abraham. The book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 2, I think this verse literally applies perfectly. It says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Right? Don't be, don't be afraid to entertain, because maybe the person that you're entertaining is angels. In this case, it was angels, and it was God. Right? Think about this privilege. Of, of opening up your home to the Lord, right? And saying, come, rest, here's some food, right? Just this, this persistence by Abraham, I think it's so cool. But what I see in this section that is so cool, right? I said, first of all, that we see that God shows mercy, right? His mercy is meeting with Abraham. I think it's so cool the way that God seeks out Abraham, right? We see there, right in verse one, that the Lord appears to him, that God is the one that seeks out Abraham. Now, God doesn't have to do this, right? God doesn't have to meet with Abraham. He's already appeared to him. He's already appeared again, right, to, to remind him of his promise. But what we see, guys, this principle is that God desires to meet with his people, right? Abraham, in Genesis chapter 17, had just taken a great step of faith, and his step of faith was to be circumcised, right? Him and all of his household, this obedience to the Lord. And as a result of this obedience, you know what God does? He shows himself again, right? He gives more. Guys, as we seek out the Lord, as we draw near to the Lord, he's going to take us deeper, right? He's going to come and appear to us and to show us more. And we're going to see through Abraham that he has something extra, something special again to show him, something that he wants to teach him. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. As Abraham walked in obedience to the Lord, the Lord drew near to him. And guys, the truth tonight is that God desires to meet with you as well. And this is his mercy, right? Who are we, right? What is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I that the God of the universe desires to commune with me? The God of the universe desires to spend time with me. God loves you. He wants to be with you, right? We, we see it in the things that Jesus says, right? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me, right? Come, all you who labor and are weary and are heavy laden, come, give me your burden, right? Give it to me. I want it. I think this is amazing. You know how sometimes people are venting to you and they're sharing to you about their life and you're like, oh man, not again, right? They're, <laughs> they're complaining and they're all oh, this and this and you're like, oh, you're looking at your watch. You're like, oh, I have that thing. I think someone's calling me, right? So, so something's happening, right? But Jesus wants your burden. He wants it, right? He says, come, give it to me. I can handle it, right? And I'm gonna give you in return this peace. I'm going to give you my presence, it's in our moments of weakness and doubt that God wants to meet with us. But the question tonight, church, is are we willing to meet with him? Right? Because for Abraham, 
he didn't have to receive these visitors, right? He could have been sitting in his tents, just enjoying, just trying to get away from the heat of the day, and he could have seen these men come by and just let them go, right? And just said, okay, that's whatever, like, it's visitors, no big deal. Do we want to meet with the Lord, and do we take the steps to meet with him, right? He's pursuing you. You know, sometimes in our lives, we feel as though we're like, man, you know, God, I just feel like God's not speaking to me. I just feel like that, that, that nothing's happening. Look, God is speaking, right? God wants to meet with you. In those times that, that we feel like we're not feeling his presence, we have to ask ourselves, are we taking that time to meet with him, right? I know just that, that for me and for you, every morning that, that alarm clock rings and you know, right? I could spend time with Jesus right now. I can come into his presence. But then you just, you see that, you feel the pillow and you're like, man, but I could also just turn over and I can have like extra seven minutes, right? And it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, who cares, right? What is the, what is that time, what does the extra sleep do, right? Meeting with Jesus though. Are we taking the steps to do that? Are we like Abraham welcoming God, right? And saying, come, come God, come. I want to fellowship with you. I want to meet with you. I want to spend time with you. He spent time with these men, right? It says in verse eight that he stood by them under the tree as they ate. It's like this picture of just God and these angels just eating and Abraham just standing there, standing in the presence of God, dwelling in the presence of God, coming near to the Lord. It's amazing. So let's keep reading in verse 9. And we're going to see in this next section that now the mercy of God is taking on a new form. It's taking on a form not only toward Abraham, but we're going to see in this section that God shows his mercy towards Sarah, right? And in reminding Sarah of the promise. Verse 9 says this, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Listen to this verse, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. So we see that in verse 9, these men, right, they, they finished their, their meal, right? They, they've spent time with Abraham, and they ask this question, where is Sarah, your wife? Now, we can assume that they already know the answer to that question, right? They know where Sarah is. Now, it, it wouldn't have been customary at that time in that culture for Sarah to be out with them. So she is in the tent, presumably in a, in a different part of the tent. So they know where she is, but I think that they are saying this to, to show that they have something that they specifically want Sarah to hear. Right? And it says right there in the scripture that Sarah was listening in the tent door. She was eavesdropping, okay? But we're going to find that it was a good eavesdropping, right? That she needed to eavesdrop on this conversation, that God actually wanted her to do that. But we have to ask ourselves the question, why do they ask this question, where is Sarah your wife? Why do they seek out Sarah specifically? Well, as far as we know up until this point, whenever God has spoken of the promise to Abraham, He's spoken it just to him, right? He's given Abraham this call that you will be a father of many nations, right? He gave to Abraham that sign of circumcision. Now, Abraham, his job as a wonderful husband was to communicate with his wife, right? But for you husbands out there, you know that we're not always the best at that, right? We're not always the best at communication, right? And speaking those things. And surely Abraham had talk to Sarah about that, right? It's not like she hasn't known this before. But guys, I think there's something different about hearing about the promise of God from someone else and experiencing the promise of God yourself, right? Receiving from the Lord yourself. You see, church, this is why for us, it is essential that we are spending time 
with Jesus, right? It's not just about, well, you know, Pastor Mike's spending time with Jesus, so I'm just going to come, and this way I can just hear from him, and, and I can just hear the great promises of God. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Pastor Mike's great. He, he shares the word with us. But for you guys as well, you need to be students of the word of God, right? You need to be in the presence of God. I need to be in the presence of God because I need to experience his promises. I need to hear from the Lord myself. But I believe that God knows that Sarah needs this encounter with the Lord. Remember, back in Genesis chapter 16, we talked about it briefly already, that Sarah was the one who had suggested to Abraham to take Hagar, her maidservant, right, and to have relations with her and to bear a son. She said, look, God's given this promise, great. I'm old, Abraham. It's clearly not happening through me, right? I am barren, so why don't you just go and do this? And we see that she compromises in that way. Now, obviously, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, Abraham's at fault too, right? No one made him do that, right? And he's like, okay, sure, I'll do that. Not a good idea, <laughs> okay? But we see that she is the one to have suggested this. And I think that God knew that she needed to hear from him personally. You know, for Sarah, the idea that she would have a son was something that was just so crazy to her, right? It's something that we see it here, that she knows that she was old, that she was well advanced in years. But you see, in that moment, guys, God, he sees Sarah, right? He remembers her. In his mercy, he knows that Sarah needs that affirmation, that she needs to hear that promise again. She needs the encouragement of the presence of the Lord. See, Sarah's 90 years old. It, it, it says in this section, right, it says that Sarah, in verse 11, had passed the age of childbearing. So it was no longer possible, right, just according to the nature of life, it was no longer possible for her to have children. And when she hears that she is going to, when, when the Lord says to her, you're going to bear a child, we see that her reaction is just like her husband's reaction in chapter 17. She laughs, right? And it says this time, though, it's a little bit different because she laughs within herself. And, and what we see is that this laugh was kind of like a laugh of unbelief. She recognizes, she says, this is not going to happen. She has this thought. She says, after, in verse 12, it says that Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? So she laughs at the idea of having intimate relations with her husband Abraham. She's like, I'm 90 years old, but have you seen him? Right? Like, he's, he's, he's pretty old, right? He's not like this, like, you know, limber guy anymore. Like, this is not, not going to work, right? This is not going to happen. And she laughs within herself at this idea. You see... Sarah having a child was impossible, according to man. It was, it was impossible according to our thoughts and according to our ways. But what I think is that this is exactly where the Lord wanted her to be, right? This is exactly where God wanted her. You see, sometimes in God's sovereignty and in his mercy, he needs to bring us to the place of desperation. He needs to bring us to the place where it is not possible, where there is no way, where there is nothing that we can do in our own strength to make something happen. And then he says, okay, now you're ready. Right now, I am ready to do something great in you. We see it in many places in the Bible. I, I think specifically about Gideon, right? In Judges where we see that Gideon is fighting this army of Midianites and he already has a small army and God's like, yeah, that's too much, right? Like that army's too much because if you then win the battle, the people might say, wow, we're these great warriors, right? We are just awesome. Go us, right? We're great. So God says, no, I, I need to whittle it down more. And he whittles it down to 300 men. And he does that so that the only possible way that they could win is if God supernaturally intervenes. If God comes in and then God is the only one that can get the glory, right? The glory can no longer go to men. It can only go to him. It's amazing. And, and I love what God says there in verse 14. This is a word that in your Bible underline it, starry. I know it started in my Bible because it's, it's the truth of God's word. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Amazing. Wow. Right? What God said would happen was impossible. But as Jesus puts it 
in the gospel. With God, nothing will be impossible. You see, many times we face these situations in our life, like Sarah was in, right, where we see that God has given us this promise, right? We believe in God's faithfulness, but we say, but God, there is no way that it can happen, right? There is no way. She says, I am, I am past the age of, of childbearing, right? I am 90 years old. I cannot do this. There's no way possible that it can happen. We see in our life, maybe some of you guys are, are walking through something like that right now, right? We see it with certain sickness and disease where, you know, you go to the, the doctor and they say, look, this is the prognosis, right? And it's not good, right? And, and, and really, there's no way that, that you're going to recover from this, right? There's no way forward, an impossible situation. Maybe it's with financial burdens, right? Where you see the, the expenses and the income and the things, it, it just doesn't match up. And you're like, man, Lord, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, right? This is impossible. It's, it, it, it's not going to work. And I think about like with Sarah, infertility, right? Where it's like, we, there's no way, right? We, we, we can't have children, all, all, all of these things. But with God, nothing will be impossible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no, it is not, right? There is nothing too hard for the Lord. See, he is the creator of the universe. He is the creator of the body, right? That same body of Sarah that was not producing fruit, right? That was not producing a child. God is the one that created that body. And you know what he says? He says, if I want to take that body, I don't care how old you are, right? I don't care what age you are and, and what's happening. I can do what I want, right? And I can make the miraculous happen. Guys, that is who our God is, right? Our God is a God of miracles. He is able, Ephesians says, to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask or think. That is who our God is. And notice in verse 14, it, it says that it happens at the appointed time, right? He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, he says, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. You see, sometimes we are just waiting, right? We're waiting for, for the promises of God to come to pass. For Sarah, she was waiting for years and years and years, but God says, no, it's at the appointed time, right? At the appointed time, I'm going to come to you. God in his mercy knew, right, that for a testimony of, for Sarah and for her own walk with God, but even for us, church, right, that this was what had to happen for God to be glorified, right? This is what had to happen so that we can look back even now and say, wow, God is great. God is amazing. He is able to do these amazing things. You see, trials that we walk through, they are the mercy of God, right? We don't think of trials as God's mercy. Sometimes we think of trials as God's judgment. We're like, man, I'm, I am walking through such a tough time right now. What did I do wrong, right? God, God is clearly judging me and he's doing this. No, right? Sometimes, but, 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 but not always, right? Trials can be the mercy of God. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7 say this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, trials build in us patience, James says. They build in us perseverance, character, hope, Paul writes in Romans. See, in the midst of Sarah's trial, God never left her, right? He sees her. In his mercy, he shows her, Sarah, no, I'm with you, right? I am for you. I am going to do something that is going to be so amazing and it's going to lead to the glory of God. And I just want to end talking about this, this point with this. In Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to really listen to, to this scripture, right? Because I believe that this moment for Sarah was such, a, such an important moment for her. Here's what it says about Sarah in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. It says, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Amen, right? By faith, 
Sarah received strength to conceive seed. You know, church, what, what I think is that that faith, right, part of that faith was built right at this moment, right? When God comes and says, where is Sarah, your wife? And he gives her this promise that you are going to have a son, right? That nothing is too hard for the Lord. And even though she doubts, even though she laughs within herself, right, and God knows and sees that, the faith that he gives is from him. It has nothing to do with her works. It's all from him. So let's keep reading in verse 16, okay? So now we're switching gears a little bit, okay? Talking now about something else that is going to be shown to Abraham. Verse 16 says this, Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous shall be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. So we've seen up until this point God's mercy in appearing to Abraham. We've seen God's mercy in appearing to Sarah. And now point number three is that we see God show his mercy in showing Abraham his coming judgment. So the Lord sends, the Lord and these two angels, right, they set their path, it says, toward Sodom and Gomorrah. And what we see right away in verse 17 is that we see this, almost like this rhetorical conversation that the Lord is having with himself. It says in verse 17, he's asking, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, right? He, he's, he's having this, this rhetorical thought, should I show Abraham what is about to happen? Or should I hide it from him? And he goes on to say, since Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So he says, he says that, because Abraham will be a great and mighty nation, because he will show his household and rule his household well, God recognized that he is going to show Abraham what is about to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and you know, what I see in this section is that one of the reasons why he's showing him is because he knows that Abraham needs to understand the severity of sin, right? Abraham is about to witness God judging this city, right? God coming down and destroying this city. And we'll talk more about it, I'm sure, next week. But this city was wicked, right? And we see, though, that God is just. And in his justice, he punishes sin because sin is serious. So I believe that God is, is revealing this to Abraham because he wants him to see this, and he also wants Abraham to know God's character. He wants Abraham to know that, look, as he prays later, God will not destroy the righteous with the wicked, right? That God's character is one of mercy toward his people. It says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? I, I think it, it's so healthy for Abraham to know that sin is serious, for his, to teach his children that, hey, God is a good judge, but he's also so merciful. He's also so gracious and wanting Abraham to pour that out toward his children. So it says, though, there in verse 20 that God says, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. So it says that God hears the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, Sodom, again, we'll see it in chapter 19, 
But Sodom and Gomorrah is a place of great wickedness. And the wickedness is largely focused in the area of sexual sin and of sexual perversion, right? And next week, Pastor Mike, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk all about this, but the men of so- Sodom are, are greatly wicked, right? They are greatly depraved. And we see that God hears the outcry. You see, sometimes when we see great wickedness in our world, we wonder, does God see this, right? Sometimes maybe you, like me, you're, you're watching the news or you hear about something and you just hear about just, just true wickedness. There's no other way to put it. It's evil and it's wicked, right? And you see these things and you, you might ask yourself, man, God, do you see this, right? Do you see what is happening in our world? See, the truth of the matter, though, is that God does see, see it. You know, this past Sunday, if you were here at church, we had just a powerful demonstration in the front here with our pro-life ministry, right? And just testimonies. And, and it was, I, I, was, I was crying. I, I don't know about you guys. I was just in tears. In it because you just see the testimony. You see some who have had abortions or who have paid for abortions. You see even, I, I saw our, our brother Ken here just saying that it's just his heart for the elderly and what it means to be pro-life. But we think about just abortion and just the, the wickedness. There's no other way to put it. It is pure evil, right? It's wicked. It is murder. And we see these things and our heart breaks And sometimes we wonder, does God see? Does God hear? Well, the reality is that he does see. He does hear. But look, in his mercy, right, in God's mercy, he is waiting to bring judgment to this world. Judgment is coming, right? But in God's mercy, he waits. Look, listen to what 2 Peter says. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life right? God is not slack concerning his promises. Judgment on sin will come, but God in his mercy says, no, you know what? I want more to come because I don't want any to perish. That is the heart of our God, right? Not desiring that any should perish, not taking any joy in even the death of the wicked, the Bible says. That is who our God is. And in showing Abraham this wickedness, Abraham knows what is going to happen. He knows that God in his justice, that God in his righteousness is going to destroy Sodom. But what we see in this section is that God is drawing out of Abraham something truly special. He is drawing out of Abraham the heart of intercession, right? The heart of prayer and of interceding and of standing in the gap for people. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, God says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one, right? Guys, the heart that God desires, the heart that we see coming out in Abraham is the heart of intercession. In verse 23, it says, first of all, that Abraham came near. And and I love this, right? That Abraham came near, that he stands and he comes near to God. And when he does, he begins to pray. And he prays in verse 23, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked, right? And he starts interceding for the people. He's not only interceding for Lot. Remember that Lot, right, his nephew was in Sodom. So of course he would want Lot to, to, to be rescued. He wouldn't want Sodom to perish because of Lot. But he's not only praying for him. He's praying for all the people, right? And he, he's praying for mercy. He's standing in the gap on behalf of the people. The question for us to consider tonight in our own lives is do we do the same, right? We think about that wickedness, right? We think about abortion. We think about addiction. We think about just sexual sin, all these different things that we see that cause us just just to be grieved. But church, how do we respond to it, right? Do we respond like sometimes I do where we get frustrated and we start venting and we start talking to our family and our coworkers like, can you believe this happened? Can you believe this and this and this? And we start just laying that all out there? Or is our heart a heart of intercession, of saying, you know what? This world is wicked, but God, we need you, right? There's nothing too hard for the Lord. God, you can do a work, right? Abraham understands this. He understands the heart of God. He understands the character of God, 
and the wickedness of Sodom, the wickedness of our world needs to bring us to our knees, right? It brings Abraham to this point of drawing near to God, of brokenness before God and crying out to him on behalf of the people. And notice when he prays, he prays according to God's character, right? Look at verse 25. Again, he says, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? You see, when Abraham is praying, he's praying according to God's character. He knows who God is. He knows that God is a good judge, that he is a fair judge, but he also knows that God is righteous, right? And he, that he is merciful. And God will not, right? He will not judge the righteous with the wicked. Praying according to God's character. When we pray, guys, sometimes it's a really good habit to repeat to God his character, right? Almost to remind God, not that God's forgotten, but it's more so that we've forgotten, right? But to remind him of his character. God, you are good. God, you are the great physician, right? Speaking those things to the Lord, right? Reminding ourselves that God is able, right? That he is, this is his character and praying according to his will. So we see that Abraham cries out on behalf of the people. Let's finish the chapter Verse 26, it says, So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes shall have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for the lack of five? So he said, If I find 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there shall be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of the 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 shall be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So point number four, our final point, is that God shows mercy in sparing the righteous. So Abraham comes before God, and he's praying, and he says, God, what if there's 50 righteous in this city? Will you destroy it? And God responds, no. I won't destroy it for the 50 righteous. And we see kind of this negotiation start to happen. It's almost like when you're, you're at a market and you're buying something and someone's like, $50, and you're like, what about 20? And they're like, I can't do 20, what about 30, right? And, and you have that kind of this negotiation. This is kind of what you see, right? But Abraham is just kind of bringing it down. He's like, God, what about if there was 45? What about if there was 40, 30, 20, 10? And he stops at 10. And again, Abraham, knowing that God is righteous, knowing God's character, I love the way he prays here. He prays with what, what can be called a bold humility, right? It's a bold humility. He, he's like, far, far be it from you, Lord. He, he says, I, I, who am I but dust and ashes? But he's speaking to the Lord in boldness. See, Abraham knows through past experiences, that God is not going to punish the righteous with the wicked. We saw it in Genesis with Noah, right? We saw the flood and we see God rescue Noah and his family, pulling out the righteous. So we see that as he prays, God assures to Abraham that he will not destroy the city for even 10 righteous. This is who God is. This is his character. He will not judge the righteous with the wicked. But here's the problem, and we'll see next week that in Sodom, there were not 10 righteous, right? In Sodom, there was such wickedness, and we see Lot, and the New Testament calls Lot righteous Lot, and maybe some of his family members as well, but there is not righteousness to be found in Sodom, and it will be destroyed by the Lord. But you see, I want to close with just these few thoughts that we find ourselves in sort of the same situation, right? We find ourselves where the Bible says, Romans chapter 3 talks about it, that there are none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So for us, in, in our standing, 
in our flesh, right, in our humanity, there is nothing good that dwells within us, right? Within our flesh, there is nothing good. So when it comes to God bringing judgment on this world, really what we deserve is to be included in that judgment, right? We deserve to, to face that same punishment. But here's the, the great truth. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, in Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus has done on the cross for you and for me, because he has taken our sin upon himself and nailed it to a cross and risen again, we have his righteousness, right? When we are looked at by the Father, he sees not our sin, he sees the righteousness of his Son. We are covered in the blood of Jesus, and because of that, we are righteous, right? Because of that, God will not judge us as the righteous with the wicked. See, one day God will judge this world for good. You know, we see it in the book of Revelation, in the, in, in the, the tribulation period. We see that just, just the wrath of God poured out. And we don't have time to, to get into this, but what I believe, I think this scripture is just a great evidence, right? That God will spare his church, right? That God, through the rapture of the church, will pull his church out of the way, right? Revelation 2.10 says, because you have kept my commands to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. God will remove the righteous before the wrath of the lamb is poured out in the tribulation period. You see, in his mercy, he will not judge those and punish those who are in Christ. And guys, this is amazing, right? We don't deserve this. We don't deserve, we are not righteous in ourselves before God. But because of the work of Jesus, we are made righteous. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, we believe in the finished work of Jesus and he makes us righteous. This is mercy, right? This is mercy. And I pray tonight that that mercy leads us to worship. I pray that tonight that that mercy leads us to say, God, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to, to be spared because in my flesh I am wicked, but God, you are good and I am in you. So in conclusion tonight, we can look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and we can see God's judgment, right? And, and again, we'll talk about it more next week, right? And it's true that God is just, right? That God is a good judge. And as a good judge, he, a good judge, he has to punish wickedness. God, God will not be mocked. But I pray tonight that we can also see throughout, woven throughout this scripture, his mercy, right? God's mercy in appearing to us. He wants to meet with you. Meet with him, church. Spend time with him, right? He is coming like he was at Abraham's tent. He's coming to the door of your heart, right? Meet with him. Spend time with him. Receive from him. God wants to do something new. He wants to draw out in you a heart of intercession. Are we praying for our nation? Are we praying for our, our, our world, right? For the wickedness. And are we standing in the gap as God desires and saying, God, I pray that you would spare. I pray that you would bring people to you. And in that praying, also God moving us to action, to share the gospel, right? To make disciples of all nations as, as Jesus commands us to. And we see lastly that he's merciful on us. He saw our brokenness and sends his son. We are righteous in him and he is merciful. Amen?